This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has grown to become the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Check out salesleadershipunited.com and tap into tools used by elite sales leaders worldwide. Accelerate your leadership development. Solve modern sales challenges. Use fully prepped sales meetings in your next team meeting. Thousands of hours of sales leadership materials indexed and searchable with a single click. Create your own personal sales leadership library. Head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB at signup to get a free trial on me. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth from the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. This show features leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Be sure to check out the all-new salesleadershipunited.com. Fast-track your sales leadership development, gain insights into how other sales leaders are solving challenges similar to the ones you face, and tap into over 400 leadership topics, hundreds of video insights, battle-tested leadership frameworks, and new material that comes out every single week. Sales Leadership United is the easiest investment in yourself you'll ever make. Head to salesleadershipunited.com, use the code ROB at signup, and get a free trial on me. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders who are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Man, the show continues to grow so fast. Best month ever last month. And I love the DMs. It fires me up when you reach out and tell me how these conversations are helping you in your career. And I'm also super grateful to the so many of you who have reached out after hearing about my ongoing battle with cancer. I'm glad that episode was so helpful to so many. Literally over 500 people have reached out and told me that that story was a difference maker. So thank you. Today, we're in for a good one. I'm excited to introduce Chet Lovgren. Chet is known by many as the sales doctor. In fact, he's the founder of his company called The Sales Doctor. Chet works with teams and sales leaders worldwide, bringing a fresh, modern approach to every part of the sales ecosystem. And I'm talking about hiring, onboarding, pipeline development, sales execution, tools, coaching, and much, much more. He's become a go-to resource for venture teams that need their portfolio companies to throw gas on the fire. He hosts his own podcast that you're going to want to check out. He works with leaders all around the world, just like you. And he has a perspective I'm confident you're going to really enjoy and learn from. Now, one of the reasons for this is Chet brings a very pres prescriptive approach. He's someone who has the depth to deconstruct which part of a sales ecosystem can create the greatest impact with even small changes. And he understands how to connect with people and help them choose growth and change, not just more of the grind. And today, I'm pretty sure you're going to have some killer aha moments. And you're going to have a great time listening to the insights this guy has to offer. Chet, welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. Rob, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Uh, even before uh, for all the listeners, before we started recording, Rob was so full of energy. I was like, I need to stand up. And so I'm standing at my desk right now so I can <laughs> try to match his energy because this guy's on fire. I love it. Let's go. And those people that go to Sales Leadership United to see the video segment snippets, they're going to see your sweet uh, office there. And yes, you are standing. So let's yeah. rock and roll. <laughs> Chad, I am really fired up to have you, man. This is going to be a fun episode. Why don't you take a minute or two and just introduce yourself and the sales doctor and what you guys do for your clients? Yeah, so I myself, I've been in sales and sales leadership for over 10 years, kind of split almost 50-50 now at this point between the two the two functions. Um, decided to go out on my own earlier this year after some success I'd been having at the sales doctor doing this part-time and on the weekends, people hiring me to go do SKOs, uh, people bringing me in for week-long you know, skill boot camps, things that I was doing while I was still working full-time in sales. And uh, said, you know what, now, now's the time. So we've had a great year so far. Could always be better, but for a first year full-time business, especially in the economy we're in, I, I think to myself, if we weren't in the economy we were in, how much better would it be, right? Because that's the, that's the most common thing I'm hearing right now is 
we don't need to upskill our people. They're all good. We just need to get out of this economy, which mm-hmm. I think is ironic because like, great example, I talked to someone in cybersecurity who says that, and I'm like, I can reference a cybersecurity company where half their team is going to club, you know? <laughs> so it's, it, it, the people are still buying cybersecurity. It's, it's, it is a lot about skill. So it's an interesting time to be in. Um, but how I got into sales, uh, originally went to, went to school to be a pastor that didn't really wow. work out. I, I finished school, but uh, decided to pursue a career in entertainment, moved to Los Angeles, spent some time out here uh, doing odd jobs before I started doing outside sales because it was it could accommodate my schedule with auditions for acting and acting school and all these things that I was doing. Yep. Um, and, you know, that that didn't end up panning out. And that's OK. I gave it a good shot. And then I said, OK, well, you know, you can do really well in this thing that you're doing now. And just kind of continued there and been moving up ever since uh, around 2015 when I really started just doing sales full time and it's led me to where I am today. I love hearing the story of how people got into sales. I'm still looking for the person that five years of being on the show, I'm still not finding someone that said, I'm going to be in sales when I grow up. And if you're a listener and you have been that leader who said, I'm going to be in sales when you grow up, I want you to reach out to me. I want to put you on the show because I'm looking for the first one. The rest of us are kind of accidentally involved, Chet, but then we got to be intentionally successful. Yeah. And and I think that's the great place for us to start. So many of us are accidentally involved. We got to be intentionally successful. When the economy's good, we got to be intentionally successful. When the economy's bad, like you said, we got to be intentionally successful. I believe that our role as sales leaders, one of them at least, is we have to engineer the greatest year in history for our companies and sales are because we're supposed to grow every year. Our job is to take where we were last year and do better. So Every year has got to be the best year we ever had. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah, it's an unfortunate statement because it's, you look at, uh, you know, sports is a great example. It happens where player will be better the next year, the following year, like Mahomes, it feels like he always gets better this year. If you look at his record though, he's not really doing as good as he was the last three years. Obviously there's a lot You're that right. goes into that, but it's kind of interesting because it's uh, that's, that's part of the problem that leaders have to deal with is that it's always rise, 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 rise. You know, it's always up, up, up. And that's just not the way anything in the world works. You know, you want to get in shape. There's no way you're going to hit the gym for an hour a day, every single day for 60 days straight. Like there's a whole book about why that doesn't happen. It's called Atomic Habits, Uh, but it's about consistency. Can I do 30 minutes three times a week to start? You know what I mean? Can I do that for three weeks? And then can I bump it to 45 minutes? And then can I go 45 minutes four, four days a week? And you build to it to where you do get to a consistent point where you might be, you know, well, I mean, consistency though, in in and of itself, it doesn't keep rising. It's just, it's kind of, is the stay the same. It's about doing the thing repetitively. So, um, you know, we don't, we don't say, Hey, we want to hit 10 million in ARR again this year. We go, we want to hit 15 million in ARR. Yeah. And that's a really tough thing to put on people because I think it just goes against like human nature and, and what our, what our failure tolerance is you know give me too much and i fail i get demotivated give me something too easy i accomplish it too easy i'm demotivated we got to find something right in the middle and i just don't think we've gotten there yet but that's uh probably not on too many of the listeners here it's probably more on their ceos and cfos and their board you know but But i get it but it's a fact man our job is to fuel the growth of the companies right it is and I've led publicly traded ones. I've done private ones, whether my investors were the, the general public, uh, the public markets or venture capitalists, or in some cases myself, we got to grow. So I, that's why I'm so excited to start with this, this kind of viewpoint. Um, because if you're going to do this kind of growth, you can't just grind. That's a recipe for burnout. You got to grow. You got to improve. You got to get better. You, and, and when you and I were talking, you, you talked about uh, being a captain of a ship. And not just being a passenger along for the ride. And that got my attention. That's where I think I want to start this this conversation. You talked about just now consistency versus silver bullets. Those are words I use to like summarize what you just talked about. When you work with an organization that wants to find the next level, that's why they bring you in is because they want to get to the next level faster than if they floundered around on their own. Where do you like to start? Where, you know, as you help people choose to be that captain that finds that next port that they go to. Where do you like to start? Well, if you think about a ship, I think of leadership the same way. You know, as Michael Scott says, the ship is in the word. No, that's a little joke for the listeners, but <laughs> oh, uh, I hope we- they got that one. That's a good one, man. <laughs> I will always appreciate some office humor. Such a such a great episode, the ship episode. It's yeah. so awesome. 
Um, but if you think about a ship trying to find its next port, it starts from the top down. The person in, in the, I can't remember what they call, but up at the top of the mast, there's a little circular port and they're sitting there and they're yeah. looking with their, their their binoculars or captain's glass or whatever you might call it, you know, trying to find and 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 look and they're, they're the ones yelling land ho, right? Yeah. So it's the same thing in a company. It starts with the top down. And so what are we as leaders doing? And I think, unfortunately, in leadership, we have a million ways to measure someone's performance, but we have next to zero ways to measure someone's participation. And engagement is how you get someone to go from being an employee to being an entrepreneur within your business. And you talk about sales. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I don't think I've ever met anyone who was like, I wanted to be a salesperson. It's most yeah. of the time people had something else they were trying to fuel in their life. And sales was the most flexible, quickest and highest monetary way that they could get there. And I also see a lot of entrepreneurs at heart end up in sales because, oh, if I want to build a business, you know, this is the way to start. They move up the ranks, end up in VP, head of CRO, something like that. Then they go out and they start their own business someday. And I think uh, from that mindset, how do you how do you spin that off into other people? And I think the problem is we're, we're not able to do it because all we do is talk about metrics and KPIs all day long, but we don't talk about participation and engagement. And if somebody's participating, that means that they're engaged. Those are two different things, by the way, because you can have participants who are not engaged, but in most situations, participants uh, will stay engaged into the, the business and the model that you're trying to prove. And uh, yeah, I can talk if you want about how do you get someone to participate more, which I think is another interesting concept, but I'll stop there in case you have any no, questions. No, I think this is awesome. I, I love, first of all, the ship. You, you went to the office, the ship. Yeah, I, I'm glad you went there. I like the idea of our listeners that are leaders saying, I, I am the captain of our ship and I, I don't want a bunch of passengers. I want people who are driving that ship with me. And yeah. this concept of participation, uh, I, you said it so nicely. There's a million ways to measure performance, not so many ways that people measure participation. And then you went one step farther and you separated participation from engagement. I'd love to like go a couple of layers deeper into that because it's a topic that I think is super important and it's not one that we've talked about on the show before. Yeah. So the easiest way to, to explain difference between participation and engagement, it's also, it's, it's hard to measure. It's more observational, but it's the <clears throat> participation is, Hey, our goal team is to make a hundred cold calls a day. And somebody comes in and they make a hundred cold calls. Engagement is someone who comes in and makes a hundred cold calls, but makes a hundred strategic cold calls. It, there's a huge difference. There's a difference between the, and because the person who's typically making a hundred cold calls and just, Oh, I didn't have any results today. Oh, well, I pressed the button. They told me to press and it didn't work. That's participation. You did it, but you didn't really like want to do it. You weren't engaged in doing it versus the person who's like, okay, I did it. These are some of the things I had problems with. These are some of the things I can use some help with. That's someone who's taking ownership of their results. Who takes ownership of their results? The captain. The captain goes down with the ship. That's why this tattoo that I have is a sinking ship. So in my right arm, I have this I have this sleeve, and it's just a sinking ship because the captain goes down with the ship. If something bad happens, it's on the captain first, unfortunately. Um, I a love lot of scenarios. that. We will put that video in Sales Leadership United for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole – I got a little lighthouse and then a whole ship sinking on my – on my arm because it's a, it's a great reminder to me. And it's something that I'm really passionate about because I've been in too many. And, and unfortunately in a lot of sales orgs right now, you see a bunch of frontline reps getting laid off and now it's starting to trickle into VPs and CROs. And it's like, that's interesting. I would have started there because the captain goes down with the ship. If your team is not hitting what they need to hit, it's on the captain. It's on you. Unfortunately, when your team, it's never about you, but it's always about you, right? When your team does good, it's not about you. When your team does bad, it's all about you. So that's kind of what I mean by that. But yeah, there's a huge difference between participation and engagement. Participation is just showing up and doing what you're told. Engagement is actually delivering feedback and looking for ways to understand the method behind the madness. Hey, Rob, I don't understand why I'm going to make 100 cold calls a day if I only have 150 contacts in my, in my name. I'm going to burn through my lead list in no time. How about we focus on me doing 50 calls a day and then maybe finding other touch points that I can use, like maybe our 
maybe our buyer personas are on LinkedIn. So there's some social sleuthing I can do there and some LinkedIn voicemails and connecting and video messages with my phone. In addition to email, maybe we can think about direct mail because we're sending them to certain people that we know are back in the office. Like maybe I can spend a little bit more time on like a targeted top 30 account list. And then I have like my numbers hitter list, my wide net campaign of like a hundred accounts that were just called for strategy, call them three to four times a day on their office line. Like that's the type of person that's engaged. But I see a lot, you know, and there's this whole talk track I have around the three types of employees you typically have in sales, which is a whole nother topic. But I see that a lot where it's like, well, I showed up to the discovery call and I asked all the questions and they are ghosting me. Yeah, because it was an interrogation, not a conversation. You didn't use the questions as like a guide. You use them as like, I literally have to ask, what is your budget? Are you the one that's signing the check? You know, you basically like didn't take any ownership of it. You said it's someone else's fault if I don't accomplish this because I showed up and did what they said, but I, you didn't do anything strategic. You didn't take ownership of it. You didn't try to divert and improv and do the things that you have to do when you see things going a different way. I've never... I very rarely hopped in discovery calls that are the same. Everybody has little different idiosyncrasies. Yeah. And so I have to use my discovery roadmap as a guide. I can't use it as truth because sometimes I need to adjust to the person I'm talking to. So that's typically how I look at participation versus engagement. But ultimately, how do we measure that participation and that engagement? And how do we get people involved, which is the second step we can talk to unless you have some questions. No, I, I like where you're taking this, Chet. This is a really interesting conversation. And um, I want to sit in this for one more second before we, I, I want to hear about your three kinds of salespeople. I want to get to that next step that you just went out as well. Mm -hmm. We're doing pretty good on time. I, I really like where this is going. I want to, I want to peel back one more thing. You just said, you talked about ownership just now, mm -hmm. and it sounded like I heard you say ownership is what fuels if it's that strategic level of engagement or that more tactical level of participation. Mm -hmm. So like some managers create new activities and that would be this participation trophy type place, but other leaders might create new possibilities with people. And then they own those possibilities. Whereas on the first one, the leader owns what you said, that random hundred calls a day, for example, right? Did I hear that right? Like you don't, you want to transfer the ownership from you to the rep. You don't want to be the owner of that as the leader. Is that what I heard you say? Yeah. So here's a great example. There's a huge, and, and if you've listeners who have led teams, right? Majority yeah. of your listeners, you yourself, yeah. you know this. So when I say this, you're going to be like, holy crap, that's true. How much more effect, like we go to our team in our one-on-one -on -one or, or yep. an individual and we go, here's your dashboard, whether you're a cold caller, whether you're a full cycle seller, or you're just a closer, right? Doesn't matter. Yep. We talk about activity metrics. How much receptive response do we get when we go to a dashboard that's already doing all the work for them from their activities, calculating all the information, and we're reviewing it together? There's not a lot of receptiveness to that part of the conversation. So what I've always coached teams to do is create a manual spreadsheet. Paul Graham says, do things that don't scale. So give it a shot, A-B test it create a manual spreadsheet that tracks the certain activity metrics, give them to your reps and have them fill them out every single day. And then at the end of the week, you have your totals and they come to you going, here are my results. They take completely different ownership of their actions and their outcomes when they have to present their work to you versus you showing their work to them and then grading it, so to speak. It's a completely different ball game when someone goes, Here's what I've been building. Take a look at it versus, so here's what you built. Let's review it. It is completely different. I don't know what the psychological principle might be behind it, but when I started creating activity trackers, so it basically tracks their daily activity and then there's a weekly stop and it, it auto calculates it for them, but they just have to put in how many calls did I make? How many emails did I send? And yeah, our sales engagement tool and our CRM will do that for them, but I want them to be more cognizant of their work that they're turning in every day to themselves when they're doing their end of day activities, tallying these numbers up. And I've also found that reps are more cognizant of how real their situation is because it goes in depth. Like if you're doing outbound work, whether you're a full cycle seller or like a sales development rep or a cold caller or something, just setting appointments, it has like how many connects on phone did you get? How many responses to email did you get today? 
And so you start going through that sheet and you're at Thursday and you're like, holy crap, I've only connected with two people on the phone, but yet I'm going to show my boss, hey, I made a hundred dials every day, but you only connected with two people on the phone. What's what kind of excuse am I going to have to come up with for that? Because maybe they were doing dummy dials. Maybe they just really weren't connecting with people or they weren't being strategic enough. And they that, you know, they start thinking in their head, what am I going to do to cover my butt here? Because these are bad results as opposed to just showing up on the spot and being like, okay, let's review your numbers. Well, you made a thousand calls. You only met two connects. That's really poor. What do you think happened? Well, then, 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 then they give you a whole story and it doesn't get anywhere. And you know that they're just lying to your face. Right? So there's a complete different way that people take ownership of results when they have to furnish something to you versus you reviewing their body of work that they've already completed. So we got 50,000 people who are listening to you. They're probably like, this makes total sense. I'm sure that we got a whole bunch of people saying this makes total sense. So here's what I think a lot of people would want to ask you if they were in a room with you right now. All right. So that sounds like it's a cultural thing. That sounds like it's part of the environment you create. Mm -hmm. It sounds like your emphasis is now in being intentional as a rep, not just efficient. It's not like, oh, because... Some people might say, well, I'm asking them to do the same thing twice. Like it's the CRM will do it. Like you said, it'll do all that for you. But you're saying, that's not my point. My point isn't efficiency. My point is intentionality. That's again, I'm putting words in your mouth. Is that the angle that you're, that you're suggesting that leaders should start thinking about is how do I make them more intentional rather than more active? Yeah. And and sometimes when we have this chat, this is why I lay out the three types of employees earlier, but I was so excited to talk about the first question that you gave me, but yeah. Reality is, is that you're always going to have 20% of people that aren't going to give a hoot no matter what. Those are your departers. Every sales org has it. There's the bottom 20%. Grass is always green on the other side. Rob doesn't know anything. I know it all. Rob's a joke. He's a big sales guy. Wants to talk a lot. You know what I mean? Like I've seen it all. I've heard people say that to my face myself. They're like, yeah, you just want to be Grant Cardone. I heard somebody say that to me on my team one time. And I was like, well, great. Well, you're, you're nobody, nobody now. So here's your papers. Let's talk to HR. You can, you can, you can be on out of here. Um, Great job. Never hitting above 30% of quota. You're real good at your job, you know? Um, And so it's, it's a, it's a very, very, very unique position to be put into because, I mean, they don't, most reps don't check their dashboard anyway. That's the other thing you're solving for here. So when you think about efficiency, it's actually, to me, it feels more efficient because they actually know what their numbers are. Even some of the top reps, I'll be like, let's take a look at your dashboard. And you can just tell they haven't looked at it. I've had top reps where I know they're just not clicking. Me, I was not that way. I'm a stat geek at heart. So for me, every day, I was probably as much as a sales leader refreshing my dashboard after every call blitz I would have or every time a deal closed one, I couldn't wait to see my dashboard refresh and see my see my chart change. You know what I mean? But a lot of reps are not wired that way. It's just not very common. If they were, then we'd have 100 million VPs of sales, right? Or sales leaders or sales trainers and coaches. The reality is they're not. And so this solves for that by also making sure that their numbers are in front of them, because it is very daunting if you go through and you're like, wow, I actually, I felt busy today. And it's actually something that I learned from uh, uh, Jeb Blunt's fanatical prospecting book. He talks about this guy in this company that he was training and the guy was at the water cooler bunch and this and that. And he was like, oh, these leads suck. We're not getting anywhere. He goes, well, let's go through your call sheet. And he's like, well, I haven't been filling anything out on my activity sheet. And then I learned further through other contacts that I had that that's actually something that Jeb also really recommends is that people manually still track their activity on a daily basis. He does it incredibly manual. I always preferred to go the spreadsheet route, give everybody a shared individual spreadsheet. They could just enter numbers in daily and let the math do itself for them. Um, but which I, I have those templates and I use them at every company that I work at, but it was crazy because at the end, when they ended up looking at his numbers, he was like, you made like 18 calls. Like, I don't remember the story word for word, but it was like the guy had made like less than 20 calls. He had had zero conversations and he had virtually spent like 10 minutes dialing the phone and he's walking around the office spouting off about how bad the leads are. This company doesn't know what they're doing, all this stuff. You know, he was a departer. Wow. He was. And and so he had no, you know, no level of in, engagement. He was just pressing the buttons and he wasn't even really pressing the buttons. He wasn't even participating. And most companies won't notice that because it's not till tomorrow that we look at the call numbers on the dashboard in the yeah. morning, the activity numbers. And we're like, oh, looks like Chet's not doing what he should be doing. Well, what if you could have nipped it in the bud sooner by putting it on him so he knows what he's do- when he's not doing what he's not doing? So, so, so I'm loving this. I want to get into your three types then. So let's let's back up so we can go forward because I want to get mm-hmm. into some of these other things. And it sounds like 
understanding the breakdown. I think we got a bunch of listeners who are going to say, I want to know what your three categories, you already gave us a sneak peek what the bottom was, the departers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to hear what they are and, and and why they are. And then we could probably refer to them as we talk about leadership strategies to create ownership in these different people, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's on me because I keep like, we go into these certain things. I'm like, well, because a builder would do this, a maintainer would do this. I'm like, oh, wait, we haven't laid that out yet, but it's okay. Let's do it. We can, Let's do it. I think we've gotten through a lot of good stuff. We can, we can take it back a little bit and, and kind of give this little tidbit here. So in my experience, there are three types of employees in any sales team. And actually, I've, I've heard from marketing people who have heard this part of my keynote that I've given before, because this lives inside my keynote, that this rings true for marketing. And I've heard the same from CS. So I'm, I'm thinking this might just be three types of employees in general at every company. But I stick with it because I do a lot of sales training. We'll talk about sales works. But there's your, there's your builders, your maintainers, and your departers. And so your builders are your day ones. These are people like you and me, Rob. They end up being future you know, sales leadership people that coach, train, consult bring groups together, have great podcasts, right? Like value adds to the world of sales. These are the people that have that potential. They're your next greatest AE. If they're an SDR and you're trying to, you know, hone in on your next big AE for your organization, they're your next frontline manager. If they're an AE and you're trying to groom someone into being a a successful frontline leader, um, they're the frontline manager that can turn into a VP or a director or department head even. These are the people that are going to be with you through thick and thin. They're always going to give more uh, than than you expect. Um, And the way you lose one is by giving them more work than they can handle. uh, Because at some point you don't want them going, well, if I'm doing all this, then what's Chet doing? My boss, you know? So that's one, that's one way you can lose a departer. But this is typically, um, this is typically about 30% of your organization. So if you think about a team of 10 sellers, you can, I think anybody listening right now can go, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so are my top three reps out of the 10 that I have. And that's immediately like, yeah. and it's actually, be careful though, because it's not always a top rep. I have met top reps who fall into the second category and even the last category before. So it's about identifying the characteristics of someone who you feel wants to build with you, is involved in that feedback loop, wants to participate and engage and takes ownership of the results. Because I've met top sellers who are like, leave me alone. You know what I mean? Like I'm a lot of top yeah. sellers are like me. me I love a lot, a lot of, of top sellers who a delete CRM data out of the CRM. And all of a sudden they're self-generating a bunch of opportunities and they're complaining about how stupid the company is. And then they're off to another AE job in eight months, you know, like, so those would be the departers. So I've, I've, I have met top reps who can be that. So that's not always the best identifier, but if you take the performance as your first identifier, and then you take the behavioral part of it as your second identifier, you'll clearly be able to go. If I have 10 reps, I know who my three builders are. All right, so that's builders. So next is maintainers. This is 50% of your team, the majority of your team, majority of any company, really. Clock punchers, they'll hit 80 to 90% of quota, which is okay because in sales are for pipeline. We headcount higher to hit, if everybody hit 80% of quota, I'd hit 100% of my quota. That's how it works typically. So that's okay. They hit 80 to 90%. Uh, they want to clock in, they want to clock out. They, uh, you know, they might not say it to your face, but they spend a lot of time on TikTok watching TikToks about work-life balance, even though work-life balance is a myth, which is a whole nother thing we can talk about uh, today or in the future. Um, you know, they don't want to do more than they're required to. Sometimes they get mislabeled as quiet quitters, which is not true. You hired them to do a job. They're doing the job. Um, Sometimes they do they do need that nudge to go from just pushing the button to thinking about why I'm pushing the button. Some of the people get it. Some of the people need a little extra nudge. So that can be that can be one of the key things that we look out for when we look at maintainers. Um, but the way you lose a maintainer is by trying to put your own career aspirations on them. If you're a leader, maybe they don't want to be a sales yep. leader. If this guy's in a rock band and he loves making 200k a year paying his bills and being able to go play at the bar on Friday nights, maybe that's his thing. Let him be. You know, yeah. Uh, maybe this gal doesn't want to be a sales leader. Maybe she has her own Etsy shop and she loves making her, you know, 225k a year. Her husband's, you know, trying to build a business, so she's supporting the family. Like people have a lot of things outside of work that they're interested in, and it's not just about work for them. And they just want to show up, they want to do their job, and they don't want to answer any Slack messages after 5 p.m. That's fine. The world needs clock punchers, and and we're totally okay with that. Um, <clears throat> last one, my favorite. The departers. There's a couple different ways we've always said this, but I like uh, these are the people that either need to be coached up or coached out. You start with coaching up, and then when they don't commit and follow through with you, that's when you start coaching them out. This is the bottom 20% of your organization. 
These are the people where the grass is always greener on the other side. You don't know what you're doing. The company doesn't know what you're, they're doing. It's because of the product. It's because of our lack of G2 reviews because marketing doesn't send anything over other than webinar leads. That's why I can't hit my quota. It reminds me of an old conversation that my CRO, Dan Salazar, when I was at 3PL Central used to say, so I used to work with this guy, his name is Ken Cassatt. And what always amazed me when I was a seller is that no matter what, even when leads are bad and I was a young seller and I would complain to the, would always look over at Ken. He'd say, I don't care. I'm still going to hit my quota. And the guy did every single month, no matter how bad the leads were, no matter what season it was, Christmas time, he'd hit quota. doesn't matter. And I feel like, um, you know, uh, that's a, that's a very important trait, but something that like, you know, I don't care if the leads are coming. I'm going to find a way to hit quota. Departers yeah. will not do that. It's always the lead's okay. fault, marketing's fault, sales leader's fault, product's fault, all that crap. Um, the, the big thing I want to call out here is if you think about those numbers, builders are 30%, maintainers are 50%, and then um, <clears throat> departers 20%. So we're at 100%. But what's interesting is you think about the Pareto principle. The problem with yep. leadership is we tend to be too reactive. And most of the things we put in place in terms of accountability and wanting people to participate and engage is built off of the bottom 20%. And that's the biggest caveat to this whole thing that I'll tell, tell all the leaders listening. Don't manage to the 20%, manage to the 80%. Because we do that all the time. We try to manage to the 20%. Look, your departers, you're going to give them an opportunity to be coached up, maybe turn them into maintainers. They're going to choose yay or nay. When they choose nay, you know what you got. You flood them out and then you pray to God the next hire isn't the same thing. But we spend a lot of time putting accountability practices in place to solve for things that the bottom 20% are doing. And that's something we all, I encourage everybody, we all need to stop doing in leadership because it happens a lot. You need to focus on how can I get my maintainers maintaining and maybe even maintaining from <laughs> at a higher clip. Maybe we're at 80%. I want to get them consistently at 90%. That's the, to me, that's the biggest part of management and, and leadership in general is I feel like a lot of time is actually just spent on that 15%. You're trying to get the maintainers to get them from 80 to 95, 80 to 90. That to me feels like the biggest part of leadership in most scenarios because the builders, they're going to find a way. They just need support. You know, they need support. They need enablement, but it's the builders. It's like, how do I, that's, that's the core audience that I'm trying to get to rise to the occasion, be the captain of their own ship, take responsibility for their results and stay consistent because maintainers, that's the thing. If you're going to be a maintainer, you need to be consistent because if you think you're a maintainer, but you're not consistent, you're actually a departer, which is kind of crazy to think about because that, that tends to happen. Um, but yeah, the departers, it's like, why manage to them? That's reactive leadership. Put accountability practices, expectations in place to manage to the maintainers who really need, need that help to be consistent and get to where they need to go. And the builders who have career aspirations and want to learn from someone like you and show them how to be better than they already are to what capacity you can and give them room to grow. Here's my question. I love this. This I burned up a whole page. I'm on page two of notes, man. This was, this was good. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying and to stare is, at you in the camera, but I just see your heads down, writing Like yeah. crazy. I'm, like, I'm writing like crazy because this, this is awesome. I, I feel this is, this is fantastic. So my, my next thought on this is, is are people just one of three are builders, builders and maintainers, maintainers and departers, departers, or can, can coaching have an impact on what these people choose to become? Because ultimately, mm -hmm. some of it's wired, but I would bet most of it's a choice they make. But I'm yeah. really interested because you've been working with this framework. Like, what's the impact a leader can have on which role the member of the team chooses to play? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I've actually, as a leader in the past, I had a leader that that had me go from a builder to a maintainer real quick. Um, and it's because of like what I called out, don't give a builder more than they can handle. Meaning like, don't get them to the point where they start wondering, well, SDR is a great example. Chet's building new sequences. He's our SDR leader, but he keeps saying like, Oh, I think it's better if we all do it together, but yet he's never touching any of the sequences. He's just giving it to us. And it's like, well, what is Chet doing all day with his time? Yeah. That's how you lose a builder. Um, and I've been put in that position as a leader. I've gone from a builder to a maintainer before as a rep. I've gone from a maintainer to a builder, um, on multiple occasions at different companies, but yes, it's, it's completely possible to do. Again, you think about departers, coach them up or coach them out. We always give people a second chance. So, Hey, let's coach you up. 
And if they choose to be coached up, that's when you're moving them into that maintainer spot. You're trying to get them to become a maintainer. If they say no, then you got to coach them out, right? Maintainers, like I said, when they become um, when they become inconsistent, they can very easily slide into a departer. The, it's very easy to go from maintainer to departer. That's the easiest transition of all, which is really scary. It's very easy to slide back as a maintainer into a departer slot. It's very hard Thanks. to get a departer to go into a maintainer. Yeah. And then it's also probably the second most common is the builders going into the maintainers because again, give them too much work more than they can handle, make them start asking questions. They'll clock out very quickly on being the person that spends extra time doing extra work, working on projects, all that stuff. The, the, the hardest one is probably getting maintainers to become builders. I think it's, it's, Departer to maintainer is kind of tough, but I think maintainer to builder is just very tough because the whole goal of maintainers is make sure you have their boundaries set for them and respect those boundaries. Um, there are ways with participation and engagement. We can talk about like how I think about meetings and stuff like that, where we can kind of nudge them and give them a taste of what it looks like to be a builder and see if that wetting their appetite a little bit makes them interested in what that world looks like. But most more often than not, the maintainers are just going to they're going to stay where they're at. And then, then that's OK. We need to be OK with that. It's not quite quitting. So you hired someone to do the job. Be OK with it. Well, you're taking me right where I think the next natural place is to go with this. So then as a leader, like I would imagine your approach to coaching and connection. I don't know which C we pick coaching, connection, collaboration. I don't know what it is. As a leader, how we choose to engage with them. Some of it might be generational. Some of it might just be based on what their experience has been like. I don't know. Like, how, what would you suggest to this group of leaders? Like, how would you tweak or be thoughtful about their approach to either coaching or just their way that they create connection to people? Because they overlap, but they are different, right? Yeah, I think... I mean, a lot of people hate hearing me say this because it means more work, but if, if you don't, I think every sales team obviously has their weekly sales meeting. You should have a weekly one-on-one yep. -on -one with your reps. I think there also needs to be two additional calls. I think every week there needs to be an hour group call that kind of dissects what your function is. If it's deal management and selling, let's tear down a discovery call. If it's cold calling, let's tear down some cold calls or a cold email, maybe a cold call and a cold email, right? Yep. Maybe a entire prospect that went through a sequence and converted to an opportunity. Let's look at the entire sequence that Chet worked and let's see what that level of engagement looked like, you know, play detective a little bit and let people kind of see what a, a person converting into an opportunity looks like in real time. So but I, Chet, I want to push pause. I want to push pause. And we're going to, we're going to yeah. rewind. I don't want to, I don't want, I, I, I apologize, but you gave me an idea right here. You said you okay. think there needs to be a couple of ideas. I want to put this in a box that we're going to label a leadership rhythm. Now, there's a lot of things that goes into a leadership rhythm. And I think leaders got to create like a beat, like this consistency. You talked about consistency. And for those mm -hmm. that will see the videos, like I'm dancing, like, right. Can you create a rhythm <laughs> that the members of your team can dance to? I love live music and I'm a, I'm a guitar player, but you mentioned that play guitars. I, that's what I do. That's one of the things I do for fun. Okay. And if you don't have a good rhythm, you don't have a song, man. And, um, and so you talked about, we should have this, we should have this, we should add a couple more. Could you give some suggestions for what these downbeats might be in some of your coaching rhythm? I know there's more to it as a leadership rhythm, but these are, connection and coaching downbeats for that rhythm right is, is that an okay box for me to put it in i guess i would need to understand like what a downbeat is versus a <laughs> well like these, you I talked guess. about these four things you talked about like yeah. there's a couple kinds of calls and we're going to add calls to it these are mm -hmm. things that will make your rhythm of experiences you create for people so let's 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 list out some of those if you don't mind because that's going to be a really nice uh, thing that our listeners can gravitate to and say, am I doing these? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like meeting types you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously you have your weekly team meeting. You should have your weekly one-on-one. -on -one. And then I think, like I was saying that there's that weekly hour long tactical deep dive as a group. I think you need to have one of those. Like I was saying, if it's SDRs making cold calls, look at cold outreach. If it's 
AE's doing discovery, sellers doing discovery, look at a discovery call, I'll look at a pricing and negotiation call. So that hour tactical deep dive. And then I think you should also implement, I think there needs to be like an hour session where you're actually doing the job together. If you're doing a lot of cold calling, throw everybody in a Zoom, everybody goes on mute. And if somebody gets a live one, boom, go off mute and let people listen to your call in real time how it's playing out on your end. There's also cold calling software that accomplishes this as well. Uh, I think Nooks is one of them that's called, but there's there's stuff that can facilitate that. But even if it's getting everybody remote uh, here, that's, that's great too. Um, if you're sellers, full cycle sellers, do some pipeline review as a team you know, tactically actual, actually do the job together for an hour. I think there's a lot in terms of camaraderie. Uh, it's also a great way to, if you're on the fence about someone to see if they are a departer, because I'll tell you what a departer looks like on that. They're the person that you don't hear come off mute at all. When you're doing the cold call blitz, they're the person that doesn't really have any clue about the opportunity in their pipeline that they want to bring to the team to review. That's, that's a very easy way to see like they they're participating. They're on the call. They're speaking, but the level of engagement they have is next to none. Um, so I think those those are addition, two additional meetings a week that you should be doing. And then well, I the think every other week, there should be a minimum training, like a 30-minute training to some extent to hyper-focus on something for the next two weeks. Hey, looks like we're doing a really bad job on cold calling with objection handling. We're just going to focus on objection handling for the next 30 minutes. And then later on this week, we're going to do a 30-minute call where we practice objections together. Today's the foundational training of it. Two days from now, we're going to do a 30-minute call where everybody's getting objections fired at one another and they're handling them. So I think you need to do a bi-weekly skill training and then follow that up with some tactical role play as well. So here's what it strikes me as I listen to you, Chet. Like, I've liked this conversation with you even more than I thought I would. When we met and prepped <laughs> for this meeting, I knew it was going to be good, but this has been really, really great. And I, I'm confident we have listeners that are just as excited about this as I am. Here's what strikes me as I listen to you. Everything you're suggesting is based on leaders that are present and observational. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're observing. We're not just this quote unquote. Yes. You say, do the spreadsheet, do all that. Not mm -hmm. because I'm going to manage you to it because I want you to be aware of it. So mm -hmm. you're talking about being a leader that's present and observational. I love how you said, it appears that this is an area that we could be whatever, we're going to train and practice X because I've observed A, yep. B, and C. Yep. I love this idea. This might be a really great way to take it home. We've only got a few minutes left. I can't believe how fast it went. I want to make sure yeah. that we have time for you to make it easy for people to get a hold of you. Any thoughts around this being present and being observational and where that kind of lies in your areas of priority as a leader? Yeah, I can get a little soapboxy about this and personal because I've had situations as a frontline manager where I didn't feel I had that support above me. Um, and Preach. I've talked to other, uh, I've talked to a lot of AEs and SDRs who, you know, obviously there's two sides to every story, but I can tell like boss is totally taking advantage of work from home. Like you got to want it yourself too. How can you expect your team to hit more than they did last year when you're not even doing it? How can you expect your team to do better than they did last year when, you know, this year you've been taking half days every single Friday and you're five minute late, five minutes late to every one-on-one -on -one that you have because you don't respect your rep's time. You respect someone else's over theirs. Um, it's why, like, you know, I have a hard stop at the top of the hour when we're done with the show. And I'm like, I probably have to leave like a minute early. So I'm like being cognizant of that because I respect that person's time. You know, I've committed yep. to that time with them. And uh, of course, the other could be same. I committed to a full hour with Rob and I'm like, hey, I got to leave like a minute early. But there's an understanding there because, you know, we come from the same cloth and, yep. you know, it's, hey, you got people you got to talk to uh, on your team. And so, you know, I just I think that we expect respect, but we don't give respect a lot in leadership because we feel like we've earned the right to be there and we're the head honcho and this and that. And some of that ego just has to be checked. Because you're seeing a lot of CROs and VPs of sales get laid off right now because that ego wasn't checked. And it's sad to say, but it's it's the reality. You know, it's, hey, what I say goes, I know what we're doing. I've I've worked through 2008. I was a seller in 08. I know how to work through a recession. And then it's like, well, yeah. looks like you don't because now you're on LinkedIn asking people if they know anybody who's hiring. And so we just got to check our ego, man. We got to you know, I think we were saying in the prep call, one thing to keep in mind is like, we have to embrace empathy, but also understand empathy does not mean a lack of accountability. 
So let's talk about that, that to finish. Let's talk yeah. about that to finish. Yeah. Well, I think I think that we need to combine some of the old school, new school. Like we're in the participation trophy era of business, and that's because, you know, millennials and Gen Z are taking over the workforce. I get it. Fifty percent of the workforce by twenty twenty five is going to be made up of millennials and Gen Z, which is absolutely nuts when you think about it. It's a massive shift. No one's talking about it. Commercial real estate brokers are pooping in their pants because they don't know what they're going to do with the office space that they're trying to rent out, and there's a complete mis misconnection on what it is millennials and gen z actually want they don't want to they don't want to come back to the office because they don't want you looking at their every move they don't want to come back to the office because of socioeconomical policies that have pushed these younger people out from the downtown and midtown areas and now they have to drive an hour an hour and a half each way just to get to the office and they're like hey that's three hours of my life i'm a maintainer I prioritize my life. That's two hours I could spend practicing in the garage with my band. You know what I mean? After work, I can do more. <laughs> there you go. I can do more here because I can start work at seven and I can end at three. It's the same as working nine to five. I'm just doing seven to three because I'm in sales and I can do that. And nobody really wants to meet after three o'clock anyway. It's kind of like dead time, right? Most people are too tired. Or they don't want to, especially in a work from home era. So it's like, I can do that here. I can't get up at 4 a.m. and be in the office by seven. And so we're not understanding what people actually want, the reason why they want them. I love my work being scrutinized. It's why when I work with founders all the time in these early stage companies, I'm like, how can we meet up in person? How can we set a whole day together where we're just sitting somewhere? I'll pay for the WeWork. Let's go meet in a WeWork room. I'll fly down to San Diego. I'll, I'll fly out to Boise. I don't care. Two, two customers I have where they live. I'm like, I'll find a space and we'll just meet up and, and we'll, we'll work for a whole day together, at least to kick this project off. Because I love having my work scrutinized. I love working alongside people. I personally would have a hard time going into an office every day, depending on location wise, because I know that is a problem. You know, mm. I mean, if I had an office out in the suburbs, different story. I'm in Los Angeles, so I don't really even know what's considered the suburbs out here. It's just one big city, but I, I get it. And it's, man, it's, it's just so tough because we're going through this massive shift and I don't think anybody really knows how to handle it. And nobody's really looking at the background of the people that we have. I mean, you got to think about millennials, millennials, parents experienced the turbulence of 2008. So you have a large generation of people who saw their parents put their entire life into this one thing, miss basketball games, miss recitals, miss guitar performances after they were taking guitar lessons. Not None of this really comes from heart. My dad was actually incredibly present, by the way. So this isn't me. This is just like people I know and what they talk about in their childhoods. But you had this group of kids whose parents prioritized work over family. And yeah, they had a nice house and they got a car when they were 16 and good life growing up. But they had this group of this generation where they were, underprioritized versus their parents' job. Then 2008 happened and their parents lost everything. So all the missed things, all the missed opportunities, all the missed family time basically was all for naught. So why do you think millennials job hop? Why do you think they're not loyal to companies? Well, because they grew up seeing what it looks like when companies return the loyalty. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. You think about Gen Zers, Gen Zers parents, primarily like Gen X, right? Or, or early, early Gen X. Well, think about Gen Xers. Gen Xers were the group of people that were told by their parents that go to college, it'll pay dividends. And then most of them were drowning in student debt and it didn't pay off for them. And so they're the first group of people that had to, you know, kind of break the mold of the traditional system of living. You get married when you're 18, you go to college, you do this, you do that. That's what they were being told by their parents who fought in World War II, by the way, most likely. And they were like, no not going to do that. Or I tried to do that and it didn't work. So they did what they were told their whole life and it didn't work. So now Gen Zers are like, I challenged the status quo. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's right. And so Gen Zers are always looking to challenge authority because they saw what happened when their parents chose not to challenge authority. They followed the system, they got burned. And so that's why, you know, millennials, it's, it's so interesting. They are like way more pulled back. They are the ones that are like work-life balance and Zen and all this. Gen Zers are the ones who are like super political, super opinionated <laughs> because they're trying to challenge the authority and the status quo. And so we don't, you know, not enough leaders understand the generational background behind the primary 
workforce that's going to be in place by 2025. And I think the better we can think about that and apply the three types of employee rule and figure out how to lead people better and get them to not only participate, but engage, we're going to be all the better for it. All right. This was amazing. We will, we'll have to see if we can get you back on next year sometime. There we um, go. <laughs> listen, we're up on it. We're about out of time, but I really want to make sure you get a chance to tell people how to get a hold of you. There's going to be people who have questions or want to go deeper in areas we didn't get to because of time. Or maybe mm-hmm. they had an idea that we didn't even think of. How do people get more of you? How do they like get access to your resources? How do they connect to what you're doing? You know, all that stuff. How, how, how do they get? How do they get more of Chet? Yeah, if you go to LinkedIn and ch- search Chet Lovegren, I also have AKA the Sales Doctor with a stethoscope emoji at the end of my name, so it's it's pretty easy. I'm one of the only Chet Lovegrens out there, I think, too. Um, there's a little link you can click. It says View My Portfolio. It has everything you would need there. It's a link tree that I've set up really well. So each section, whether it's cold outreach, outbound leadership, career development, content creation, whatever you might be interested in, you can find either a podcast or a resource associated with it. You can also go directly to my website, www.thesalesdocrx. That's D-O-C-R-X.com. And there's a page that has all my podcast episodes, my newsletter snippets, my blog, and then also like a resources section. We only have three resources up there, but they're kind of cool. My favorite one is the sales RX sequence guide. Essentially the cold outreach sequence that I use when I 11 X uh, the ARR at pavilion in eight months. So you should check yeah. it out. Cause it's a great outbound cold sequence. It'll help you build your B2B motion up. It's templated. So there's a lot of plug and play, but you just got to be a little strategic and intuitive with what you're, what you're entering in. All right, Chet, this was awesome. We'll put all those links in the show notes to make it easy for people to access them. Just find those in the notes and we'll, we'll get them where they need to go. Um, cool. We're out of time. You got one last, like one statement. Like if you're going to put a bow on everything we talked about, a final thought for the leaders around the world that are hearing you today. Yeah. Buckle up. <laughs> buckle up. Buckle up. That, that may have to be the title for our episode now. Buckle it's, up. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm dating the episode by saying when we're recording this, but um, yesterday there was a very important announcement from the Federal Reserve. Um, it looks like there's a six month period before we're going to see some decrease in interest rates and then historically the economy gets really good for two years so i know that more companies now are requesting people to be back in office so when you combine these kind of things especially internationally with everything that's going on in terms of war um, we're in for a really interesting ride the next 18 months so buckle up there's going to either be an incredibly great change it's going to or it's going to continue to get worse i think it's going to be one or the other we're not going to go in the middle it's either going to be awesome or it's going to be absolutely terrible so either way uh, buckle up for either extreme growth or absolute terror. <laughs> That's how I look right. at it. <laughs> he is Chet Lovegren. He is the sales doctor. He helps leaders all around the world uh, take the ship where it needs to go rather than get it blown from here, there, and everywhere. I hope you enjoyed this idea about having ownership be something you can help build with each member of your team. I hope you'll reach out to him. Thank you, Chet, on behalf of 50,000 listeners all around the world for giving us an hour of your time. And, And as I say to everyone, brother, happy selling. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has lived on Patreon and grew to be the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. I could not be more excited to announce that Sales Leadership United now has its own home. We've moved off of Patreon. You won't find us there anymore. And you can find us now at salesleadershipunited.com. Listen, I coach over 100 sales leaders. They're in big companies, and they're in new companies, and they're in every industry. They're people that are new to leadership, new to companies. Some are new to leadership. Some are new to companies. They are the most seasoned sales leaders in the world, and every one of them wants more tools. They want more insights. They want more perspective. They ask me questions like, how do you create systems? How do you create foundations? How do you create change? How do you coach? How do you lead up? How do you manage up? How do you connect to a totally different generation? And the number one question I get, what are other leaders like me doing to solve problems like the ones I'm facing right now? And that's why you need to check out Sales Leadership United. All the tools, training, and techniques used by some of the world's most successful sales leaders 
perspective that can come only from the benefit of thousands of hours with other leaders from all around the world. If you haven't checked out Sales Leadership United, head over to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB to get a free trail trial. Now, that conversation with Chet, man, that was fun. Chet is in it, and he's all about it. I enjoyed his energy, and I enjoyed his insights. Chet had me from the very beginning when he started with consistency versus silver bullets, and I think he's right. Searching for silver bullets in sales or in sales leadership is a massive mistake. Like I said, this conversation was so good, and I hope you found it as insightful as I did. It was all about impact versus effort about progress, not perfection, about intentionality, not efficiency. This this conversation is something every one of us will benefit from because ownership of your team fuels what you will do about it and with it. I haven't stopped thinking about this idea of performance versus participation because activity management is alive and well. And I'm not saying that activity management doesn't matter. I was on the call today with one of my leaders who was telling me he needs to get better at activity management and he needs to have a little more metrics behind what he does rather than just the feel. But the flip side is also true. We have too many that think they can lead a team just with numbers. And I don't think that's true. Um, you got to have both. You, you've got to you've got to have people that are working hard and having accountability, but you also have to fuel uh, growth of the individual. And that's why I loved this so much. There are a million ways we can get participation. Chet's right. But participation does not equal performance as much as many of our activity managers would like to think it would. Elite leaders don't just work hard and cross their fingers and hope it's enough. Elite leaders understand the power of the if-then constructs. And if you can see me, i got quotes going if-then. I'm talking about if this, then this. If I do X, I I predict Y. This is what fuels working with a purpose. If I do blank, I predict blank. This is if-then thinking. It applies to winning. It applies to losing. It applies to prospecting. It applies to improvement and coaching. Listen, the if-then construct should apply everywhere. As an elite leader, we want to be someone who helps people act intentionally rather than just let's just work hard and hope. You should be able to answer this question. Why are you doing X? Fill in the blank. Too many people, too many leaders, they know the if part of the if then. If this. But we don't help them figure out the then this part. So if you want to be elite, if you want to create career changing years for those you lead, stop simply counting the numbers. And instead, start making the numbers count. If this, then this. Performance should never be a happy accident. And I see too many times where that is exactly what's happening. We're working hard, we're crossing our fingers, and we're hoping. Intentional performance and intentional improvement should always come on the back half of that if this, then that construct. And if it isn't there, it can be. And it can happen faster than you think. So go back and give this episode another listen because Chet dropped some awesome insights today. I'm not telling you to go back to go back and listen to a sponsor. I I don't take sponsors right now. I'm telling you to go back because this will help you have more impact as a leader. So Chet, my new friend, thank you so much for joining me. Congrats on your success. I appreciate you sharing your perspective on creating intentional success regardless of the conditions we face. I love your approach to creating growth and improvement rather than blind effort and pursuit of success. My advice, connect with Chet reach out to him. You're going to find he's an incredible resource. Tap into his resources. I've included links in the show notes to make it easy for you to connect uh, with Chet and leverage what he has to offer. And then be sure to check out Sales Leadership United to get video segments of the highlights of my conversation with Chet and other incredible guests of the show. I'll have several clips that will be huge leadership resources for you that you'll want to use for sure. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. The greatest compliment you give is when you share the show with those you work with. So share the show with someone this week. Introduce them to Sales Leadership Podcasts. Leave us a review on iTunes. Put it on your social channel. And you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head over to salesleadershipunited.com and check it out. You'll be glad you did. Thank you for your support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. 
Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people we lead. If you liked this message, please share it this week with someone who needs to hear it and then get after it this week because life is short. We got no guarantee of what comes tomorrow. Maximize what you do today. Be elite. Live strong. Chase your passions and do your best work so you can live your best life. And don't ever forget that you got this and I got you. Have a terrific week. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.